I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to Wood Talk for woodworkers by woodworkers. Now here are three guys who have great personalities. Mark, Matt, and Shannon. All right, it is Wood Talk number 224 for March 2nd, 2015. On today's show, we're talking about finishing plywood, full extension shop-made drawer slides, and preventing tear-out. Now, that's a classic. All that and more coming up, but first, let's hear a quick word from our sponsor. Brusso Hardware is proud to sponsor Wood Talk again for 2015. As a special discount for new customers, Wood Talk listeners can use the coupon code WT2015. For 10% off orders at Brusso.com. That's like the best hardware on the planet, bar none, and you can get 10% off. So it's WT, stands for Wood Talk 2015. WT2015 at Brusso.com. Uh, we yay. don't. Yay, exactly. I need some knife hinges, so I'm going to use that coupon myself. And that discount is very, very helpful. Uh, we don't have anybody to thank for donations, but if you want to help us out with the donation, you can do that. Just go to woodtalkshow.com, look over in the side column, and you'll see a couple of links that'll help you get that accomplished, and we appreciate that kind of support. You can also go to woodtalkshow.com slash giveaway, and this is our new giveaway series that we have. Every month, we're going to put up a couple of things, including t-shirts and guild memberships and hand-tool school memberships and uh, Matt's leftover taco from last night. Mm, um, be careful though the sour cream might go bad by the time you get it but if you just brush it off the uh the, the steak underneath it is awesome five day rule uh, i'm just here. i'm just picturing like a padded envelope with a greasy taco wrapper <laughs> yeah. and like some leftover cheese and a little bit of lettuce and a little sticky note in there that says i ate some yeah that would be perfect <laughs> and you know what i don't know why in my mind my go-to food when i think of matt like i i just think that he always eats tacos is that accurate uh well not necessarily by my choice, but uh, the beautiful <laughs> Samantha has a thing for Mexican food. So okay. if it's not taco, it's fajita. If it's not fajita, it's nacho. If it's yeah. not nacho, it's taco salad. So it brings it right back around to tacos. Oh, okay. No, nothing I've, wrong with that. Then I'm not that far off. Good. I've, I've, long, I've long had a dating philosophy that if she likes Mexican food, that you should just propose. There yes. you go. Do you yep. really want to go to Mexican, though, on a first date? 
Uh, well, if you really, 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 really want to get to know them real quick. (laughs) Might as well get the secrets out of the way. Break the ice. Uh, yeah, good stuff. All right. And one more thing real quick. Got a special little song here I'm going to play for our buddy Shannon. You ready, bud? This is for you. I sought out the absolute worst birthday song I could find. That's awful. <laughs> Isn't it, wait, let's just enjoy a couple more seconds of it. Yeah, please. Oh yeah. So that's for you, buddy. Happy birthday. Happy Thank birthday, you. That was sir. Horrible. <laughs> I'll send you a copy of that, because uh, I know you're gonna want to listen to it later. Uh, but yeah, tomorrow I saw on Facebook, tomorrow's your birthday, so I figured uh, today's a good day to mention it. And it's the best way to bring you into your 40s. That's awesome. With that terrible, terrible song. I got to go make one for myself. It's not my birthday, but I want one of those. You know, that (laughs) reminds me of of when I turned 30. um, Heather got me this. Well, this ought to tell you something. A cassette tape. Um, Believe it or not, 10 years ago, you (laughs) could still get those. Um, It was a cassette tape of like, like birthday songs or like it's your day shannon and it was one of those things you pick up at like a gas station (laughs) so it was like right next to the it's your day samantha and it's your day you know tori all that and um it it was like an entire side a and side b like well back then it was like 60 minutes per side and it was like a whole story and it was like (laughs) acted out with like a musical and everything and i gotta find the thing it's it's worth like digitizing just for the awfulness of it it's so bad that's awesome you know just to carry on the theme of not woodworking and and tapes we were watching a movie the other night and i can't remember what it was but there was a scene in it where the person got really angry and it was a, a mixtape a person's favorite mixtape and just started ripping the tape out you know how like there's that big <laughs> you know i'm gonna screw you over you're never gonna work this and sam and i both had like the audible gasp and our kids looked at us and they're like what i don't understand what? What's that all don't about? Don't they have like, a backup? <gasps> that is a hard on, It's not that big of a deal. You just stick a pencil in it, right? You stick a pencil in and rewind it? Yeah. Well, if you're coordinated. Ah, so oh. old school. Jeez. <laughs> Brings back memories. All right. Let's move into what's on the bench. I'll go first. I've got a bunch of sub-assemblies. I'm at that point where you're doing a big chest of drawers and you just kind of... There's, there's a lot of parts and pieces, and sometimes it can get a little unruly in keeping track of everything, so it makes me feel good when I'm at that point that I could finally glue a couple of things together to turn, like, eight pieces of wood into just one big piece that can then be, you know, used or measured or something gets done with them, uh, but it just kind of uh, decreases the complexity quite a bit, so I'm doing some sub-assemblies right now, got to do a whole bunch of panel glue-ups, and I was... I typically use the domino to help for alignment of my boards, and that stops me from having to do like the calls and clamps at each joint just just to keep everything nice and flat. Uh, I know you don't have to, but it's something I really enjoy doing. But I usually use the smallest size dominoes I have, and that's pretty darn effective because those domino mortises are nice and uh, tight and accurately located. Uh, That works pretty well. But then I started thinking about it, and I've got boards right now that kind of have a tendency to move a little bit on me. So I was a little bit nervous that if I just went right into the glue up that these might warp on me after the fact. So what I decided to do was go with a little bit longer, the 40 millimeter domino tenons, and I use those and it's overkill for the sake of alignment. But I thought, well, if I've got this little beach tenon, at least going 20 millimeters into each side of the board, that could very well just help promote flatness of the panel. 
in the long run. So, um, so I tried that for the first time, plunged it in there, worked great. And these plant, the panels are pretty darn flat. Like, and, and I don't know that they would have moved anyway. Cause I, I do the counterbalanced clamp thing where you run, you know, some of your clamps one way and the other half of your clamps, the other way, just, just to kind of even out the pressure. Um, so they could have stayed flat to be, you know, from, from what I was doing there, but I really feel like those longer dominoes were better for this and, and would help promote panel flatness. So it's just kind of a new feature that I never really thought about before, but I'm excited about it. Anything that can exciting. help with, with, with panel flatness, I think, is always important. Well, it's, it's one of those things that's really disappointing when you don't know it's coming or you, you don't realize yet that this can happen. So you, you have perfectly jointed edges and a perfectly flat board and you throw them into clamps overnight and you take them out of the clamps the next day. And within a couple of hours, you start to see this thing is curved. Right. And, like, and you're what? like, oh, I didn't know I made a big trough. Yeah. What, how, how did that happen? And most people are perplexed by it. And what, what can definitely contribute to it, aside from, you know, possibly, you know, jointing uh, error or maybe you weren't perfectly 90 on your edge joint, um, the clamping itself. Sometimes if you use those parallel clamps and they're all facing the same way, they can induce a little bit of pressure. Uh, to one end of the the panel or to one, you know, to the top or the bottom of the panel and induce this sort of uh, curving action. So you, you counterbalance that by running a couple of clamps the other way. And that usually helps. But still, even then, sometimes panels just go wonky on you and there's not much you could do about it. So anything that you can do to kind of stack the cards in your favor at that stage of a project is uh, is definitely a good thing, in my opinion. Heck yeah. Yeah. So wonky panels. Wonky dang wonky panels. So what about you, Matt? Well, for me, actually, this past weekend, I have taken just a little bit of a mental break. Uh, I'm sure some of it had to do with Beer Fest on Friday. Uh-huh. Uh, but that is very – I drank plenty of water when I got home and uh, had a, a plenty of rest. But I think I've been doing – I kind of just got finished up with like a lot of the sub-assembly, uh, much like you're describing. Mm-hmm. And that can be really, really exhausting. And what I'm doing now is mentally preparing myself for getting uh, the glue-up ready – because I'm going to be gluing up all the frames into the into the sides very very soon, and that's a, that's a lot of mental pressure coming up with the dry run and then figuring out <laughs> what else do I need to do in here? How can I do this in the shortest amount of time? Do I need to bring in somebody else? Probably not, because I'm sure they'll go running out crying at some point. Okay, who am I kidding? I'll go running out crying at some point <laughs> because they'll be yelling at me for yelling at them. Uh, so I decided this this weekend just to just to take just to be nice. So uh, as far as sub assemblies go, it sounds like you and I are kind of uh, living parallel workshop lives right now. Um, kind of yes. What what sub assemblies did you do to make it a little easier? Uh, well, I had the the all the the drawer frames okay are are all taken care of, and really that's that's the main thing is is just simply the drawer frames. The panels are already done. Uh, everything's ready to go. It's it's just a matter of bringing the the drawer frames together with the drawer sides and even even within the drawer frames there's there's one two three of them that are going to have like a divider between them and yeah. so there's that part of me that's wondering should i go ahead and do the divider now and then install it all as one sub-assembly you know or it's, should it's i put tricky. in it is tricky yeah. to get that order of operation because you go well if i do it now what if things are even slightly off then how am i going to get everything together <laughs> exactly <laughs> you know and, and so then on top of it any of the tables that I'm working off of, of course, this thing is wide enough when it's laying on its side that it's just near touching the uh, the ductwork that I have in my in my basement ceiling. Which for a short guy like me, I don't ever worry about those. But when that <laughs> thing's in place, suddenly I'm looking at it, going, 
you know, when I go to put that clamp in place or whatever technique I decide to use, whether it be a, a web clamps or whatever, how am I going to avoid in my panic as something starts to shift or something, mm-hmm. getting that in place? So, yeah, that's I, I decided that I just really needed to take the mental break this this weekend as I sat there mulling it over in my brain as all things go bad. Yeah, the calm before <laughs> the storm. Exactly. And then I took a chance to uh, finish, get caught up on framework and uh, the Ellen show, which made it even worse because then I'm like, oh, my God, (laughs) I can't. I want to go back and watch both of those if I can track all the episodes down and I can't get off of Ink Master. Thanks to you. (laughs) I'm still working. I'm like on season five now and I'm just like, okay, here we go. I'm almost done. Now I'll be able to go back to framework. (laughs) You screwed me up. When when are you going in for the angry panda, which is totally a side (laughs) subject that nobody else knows about? (laughs) Oh, man, I feel like we have to fill them in. So very quickly, I did wind up getting a new tattoo on my left arm, and it's bamboo, and Matt thought it would be hilarious to have on my right arm a very, like, sad panda who's reaching out for something but can't quite reach it so that when I bring the two arms together, (laughs) the panda is just very frustrated that he can't get to uh, where he wants to go. Then you need the panda's, like, face to turn happy. So, That's true. Once it gets closer, it's like a uh, hologram. I don't think you could do that with ink. I'm not sure. That, yeah, I'm not sure we can. <laughs> it, depends, it depends on how much you're willing to pay for it. That's <laughs> uh, true. The right artist. All right, there Shannon, what about you? Well, I uh, had great lofty goals for this weekend for my shop. I had several projects that I wanted to finish up, and I made the mistake of purchasing the digital copy of uh, Peter Galbert's uh, Windsor Chair Book oh. the end of last week. And I, I, here's the, here's how my Saturday morning laid out. I had, you know, uh, the, the cup of coffee and I had my iPad and I had everything I needed to go down and begin filming. And I decided to sit down with my, uh, my toast and my coffee and just peruse through Peter's book. And about four hours later, <laughs> I had that move from my shop stool sitting at the bench. It is easily the best woodworking book I have ever read. Really? Um, it, it, is so better than anything else in my library. And whether you want to build a Windsor chair or not, it is, it's just awesome from the illustrations. If anybody's familiar with Eric Sloan and his, uh, his, I mean, his kind of encyclopedias of early working, working tools, all pencil drawings, really, really cool stuff. Peter does the same type of style, but, uh, and I said this after woodworking in America that he is so, insightful. His teaching method is so phenomenal. He's so innovative in how he does things and how he thinks about things. Mm -hmm. He's now written it all down. And not only could you build a Windsor chair from somebody who's never even built one before, and I built several, so he's like, okay, yeah, I know what he's talking about there, but I could see how you could walk off the street and pick up your very first tool ever and build a Windsor chair from his book. But at the same time, you learn so much about wood and how to use chisels, how to use, how to sharpen tools. It is amazing what he's done. It's, it's eat your heart out, Rubo. You couldn't even come close <laughs> to an encyclopedic knowledge that Peter Galbert has, has uh, written. And, you know, most woodworking books are not read it from cover to cover. Right. This could very, I mean, I did. Um, I, I read it from cover to cover. It very easily, it tells kind of a, 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 a not a story, not, not a work of fiction, but it's, 
it's got a narrative that runs throughout it. It's just really good. That's how I felt about uh, Schwartz's original Workbenches book. It was one yeah, of the, it's one, similar in a lot of ways. Yeah, one of the um, first that I felt could be read through in that way, where there's definitely instruction and plans and things, but it still reads in a narrative way that I can actually go from page one to the end and and, and feel good about it. Yeah, it's, nice. It's a game changer as far as woodworking books go. What's the um, title on it? <laughs> good question. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's so good, it doesn't need a title. Yeah. Titles are irrelevant. The content <laughs> is the most important thing. Yeah, we should definitely link, link up to it. Uh, I will do it. It's uh, I should know this. Um, you only you sat there and read it cover to cover. Chairmaker's you, Notebook, I think. Yeah, the Chairmaker's Notebook. Nice. That sounds so, good, man. I'll have to pick that up. I haven't actually sat down and read a woodworking book in a very long time, so um, it's, I'm overdue. Um, it's available digital, and then the print version will come out in March, I think. Wonderful. Um, what is March now? Maybe it's April. Oh, so they pre-released the digital version before the print version. Hmm. Yeah. Who is who published that? That's interesting. Lost Art. Lost Art Press. Well, of course. Okay. They do, th- they do things by a, a different manual, which I like. Yeah. But, I mean, I went ahead and I ordered... Uh, I ordered both, and I, I think it was a better price if you do it that way. Oh, okay. um, but I mean, the quality of their actual physical books are so good. Oh yeah, yeah. that I definitely wanted a, a, a physical copy. Um, but Fantastic. Yeah, I just, I, I've been anticipating this for a while, just because I do like Windsor chairs, and there's a lot of there's a lot of little things with Windsor chairs that are I, I have trouble remembering. Now, what do I do here? What do I do here? And I was thinking it'd be nice to have kind of a a manual like a how-to to help refresh my memory. But after visiting um, Peter's workshops in woodworking in America, I started thinking, holy crap, this guy's like redefining how I would do the steps that I already know how to do. Yeah. So I was excited to see the rest of his thoughts on this. And I mean, this is as close as you're going to get to having a private class with, with Peter. Um, it's, it's just awesome. I can't say enough about it. It's nice. fantastic. I'll have to check it out. That sounds good. All right, let's move into what's new. I didn't put any of the links in here. So if you guys want to take the ones with your names on it, that would be good. All right. Well, this first one came in from Michael, and this came in just the other day. And it's salad tongs from one piece of butternut. Now, apparently, I'm not sure. I I hate to say that I did not look at the date of when this was going on. But apparently, there is a kitchen utensil build-off happening. And I don't know if it's one where you're supposed to use just a single piece of wood this isn't this great. This is what I usually do. I come on here and I'm like, this is a really awesome thing. I have no information for you. Much like Shannon just a second ago with the book. <laughs> we are a wealth of amazing information for folks. <laughs> yeah. But anyways, so it's a really neat video. And uh, as they take you through actual construction, using the single piece, creating a hinge from it. Um, just a, a, a neat little project if you're looking for something along the lines of wooden utensils in your home. In fact, it even goes so far as to put a really cool uh, decorative piece on on both sides real neat decoration so uh, kind of fun to watch very cool sweet and then the next one of course just the other day i saw this drop into my email box the highland woodworker their episode number 17 is out i have not had a chance to watch it so i didn't even want to look to see who's featured in it is that bad to say simply because i just wanted to go there and be like (laughs) yes Uh, (laughs) michael gill martin is a furniture maker that's the moment with a master Oh, nice. Okay, yes. And I think that that's the only awesome. that's the only name they're throwing out here. Okay. Well, I know that they they still have their tool oh, reviews and everything else going on with Sorry. it. So yeah, Alf Sharp is also in there. Yeah. Oh, so cool. always a good watch. Yeah, that is. Uh, it's still to this day one of the best like things produced for the internet uh, focused on woodworking. Very TV like. If you miss those days of uh, TV <laughs> woodworking shows. 
Exactly. That's what I almost feel like. It's. I feel like I, I'm waiting for them to go, and your tote bag is available for only $10 donation. <laughs> All right. Support us. Yeah, they actually do have, don't know if it's exactly the same thing or a reshuffled version of what they do online, but they are uh, producing the show now for like a PBS television market. Mm-hmm. I can't oh, remember yeah. exactly what they called it, but they're doing something with that. Right. Yeah. Pretty exciting. Very, very exciting stuff to see. Good deal. The PBS stations down south tend to be a lot more woodworking friendly. I don't know if it's a Roy Underhill influence or what, but yeah. they have a lot more shows on. Is it Roy As just running from to PBS here. to PBS, like plugging things in there? <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. All right. Well, I didn't plan this, but I seem to have a bit of a theme today. Um, uh, my what's new link here is uh, there is up until Peter Galbert's book came out, probably my favorite book was with hammer in hand. Um, it is a kind of a, a museum perspective. It was basically the curation of the Domini shops that's up at the Winterthur Museum. Uh, the Dominies were a cabinet making family on Long Island and Winterthur bought the entire shop moved it down and set it up. And it's just, it's a incredible look into an 18th century shop. It's come kind of a Mecca for cabinet makers and period people to go to Winterthur and see all these incredible tools in the workshop. And this was kind of the museum collection book that went with it. And mm. it's been out of print for a long time and you can find copies for like 90 to $150 online if you're lucky. And I've had a copy of it for what? 10 years maybe and i'm constantly referencing it but i'm always kind of don't want to talk about it because i know how expensive it is and it's like oh you should go and get this book and people are like yeah you suck you know i can't find it and it's really expensive <laughs> it is now available digitally through um some division of the university of wisconsin um the catch is it's not like a downloadable pdf it's it's like going to a blog and you know with a you have to go click on the individual links and read the, the page sections. So it is something that you have to actually have your, they're making your work for it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> there's all kinds of commentary. I, I saw earlier today, uh, somebody, um, put up a blog post saying the same thing. This is now available. And there were some comments in there about people who were upset that they couldn't download the PDF. And it's like, well, you know, I mean, <laughs> it is free. <laughs> this is a book that costs a lot of money and, and is very valuable resource. So if you have to actually visit the website and click from page to page, I mean, you could still visit it on your tablet. But wait a minute. The internet is here so that people can complain about things they get for free. That's the whole point of it. <laughs> right. Like, this is very true. Come on. Now. So if you were expecting something you can download to your reader and read in beautiful, polished EPUB format, this is not it. This is going to be like clicking on an old, um, like, uh, alt net, alt dot woodworking type news group or something. It's very, <laughs> very low tech, but the, the illustrations and everything are there. And it is a really incredible resource for people who are interested in, in um, 18th century woodworking and how it was actually done. Um, the Dominies are a great example. Cool. Sounds good. All right, let's move into our poll of the week. You know, we've got this friend, his name is Tom and Tom likes polls and <laughs> he does polls for my website, which is great. Uh, last week he asked the question, do you use metal drawer slides? So it was a fun question. 58% said yes, but I wouldn't use them for a period reproduction. 28% said uh, they're awesome. I use them on all of my drawers. And 9% said, isn't it kind of personal asking about my drawers? <laughs> <clears throat> I like that. Um, and this week he's got a question. There's also more answers. You can go to the website and check that out. Um, he asked the question, have you ever purchased tools from a woodworking show? 
this is uh he brings it up in in his little write up too about how this is something that doesn't happen quite as often as it used to. But I remember back in California when I was living in Temecula, a friend of mine said, "Hey, you should go up to this you know such and such woodworking show with me. They always have good deals." And I remember going there wanting to pick up a desktop or a benchtop mortiser, uh, something I had my eye on. And I did that. I was just waiting for the right time at the show. I saw the show price and tried to like time it on the last day so that I can get a really good deal. And everything worked out. It was really good. I got a great price on it. And it seems like that kind of concept maybe, and that's why I'm interested to see what this, the poll results are for something like this because it feels like that's dead. Like that type yeah, of thing I just doesn't exist. I think the internet killed that. Yeah. You know, low pricing seems to have died because that was like how the manufacturers that normally didn't sell direct to the consumer that was when they sold direct to the consumer you could get the great you know direct pricing or whatever and now it seems like you know they still have their distribution channels but you can go to pretty much any website now Um, it is funny how some of the old like uh, big power tool manufacturers still don't do that Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know I, I just feel like guys like Highland and Woodcraft and everything have pretty low pricing already. Well, I feel like it, that the big tool shows that there still might be an opportunity because I can't imagine this has changed where a lot of these companies just on the final day would rather get a few thousand bucks for this tool than to have to worry about carting to, it back. Right, right, load it back on and take it off. Yeah. yeah, so they could at least sell it to someone there. So there still may be deals to be found, but this poll includes not just those last day deals, but um, just at the show in general, a show special price, if that's been enough to motivate you. So let us know at thewoodwhisperer.com. You'll see that poll sitting right there on the homepage. Uh, or if you get there late, go to the community tab and look for polls there. You can find all of the old polls that we talk about here. And uh, by the way, tomsworkbench.com is where you could find more from our buddy Tom Iovino, who likes polls. All right, Tom moving is a nice guy that way. Yes, he is. Uh, let's move into our kickback. This is where you give us some feedback on things you heard on the show. And all of today's kickback, by the way, comes from the new woodtalkshow.com website where these folks have uh, gone to listen to the episode and leave their opinions, comments, questions, all that good stuff uh, in the comments section on the website, which is probably where we're going to get a lot of this kickback. We, we still get it from email, but uh, it's a great conversation that occurs on the website, so you don't want to miss it. I was uh, the, say, ones, like, the ones on the website, we don't have to, to censor as much. Right. Yeah, <laughs> I was just going to say that. I'm like, I don't remember these ones coming through because I didn't spend a lot of time like just punching and putting stuff in and all that good stuff. <laughs> yep. All right. First one we got from Dean and, and these are all in response to the question that we raised on the last episode, the weekend edition, where we were talking about taking a class or going uh, to actually purchase tools, uh, one versus the other. So Dean W says, uh, you asked for examples. He says, after I decided this hobby was something I would stick with, I slowly got enough tools to mill my own wood and do basic construction with power tools, a six inch jointer, lunchbox planer, Festool track saw, Festool router, a basic sliding miter saw, measuring marking tools. I then made a few things for Mark's free site to build confidence and one from Matt's site. I then treated myself to a woodworking vacation of sorts and took a five-day class from Daryl Peart at the Port Townsend School of Woodworking on a specific project. It was a great class and having a specific goal was perfect for me. That class gave me even more confidence and now I'm appreciating the Wood Whisperer Guild. I hope to build a few projects from there soon. Thanks, guys. So there's an example of someone who kind of did, I think, what most of us fell on the side of getting the tools, using resources, and then going for project-specific or technique-specific classes. So thanks for uh, sharing that, Dean. We appreciate it. Sweet. Well, this next one came in from Dana, and Dana said, you can spend a lot of money buying tools before you have skills. Buying tools that either that are either not used or replaced with better tools can cost more than the class. 
On, online information is plentiful, and I use it often. However, classes force you to concentrate on the subject and actually use the tools. In Joe's case, married and just getting his PhD, time is one thing you can't get back. He doesn't know when he will have the time in the future to take class, work, kids, marriage, family, and uh, have a way of uh, filling your life. Not that these are bad things. It's just that tools are easier to find than time, which hmm. is very, very true. It is. Although if he just got his PhD, I'm sure he's got a lot more time than he had a month ago. <laughs> right, exactly. You know, the PhD is already in the pocket. Uh, now I got to find a job. <laughs> well, once you have right. a PhD, isn't that when you should start getting your own graduate students? <laughs> yeah, really. There you go. You know, it's funny. Um, it was just minutes before we started recording. I think Chris Schwartz released a blog post that says the same thing. Like, I have the time, I have the money, and I have the capability to take classes, but I have this thing called a wife and kids, and there's just no way I will be able to take woodworking classes. So yeah. there you go. Yeah. Cool. Straight from the mouth of the shores. Uh, where so are we, we oh, cash yeah. in on that? <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, we should leave a comment. We said that first. All right. This comes from Steve. He said, I would go with the joiner and planer, since if you took the class... They would be used heavily, and having them in your arsenal in your own shop is such a game changer. Buying dimension lumber is costly and limiting. Continuing to borrow machine usage takes away from shop time, which has a value all its own. Good there point, go. Steve. Thank you. Very nicely said. So a lot of point, counterpoint, good discussion going on. So definitely go to woodtalkshow.com and uh, chat it up with your fellow woodworkers. All right, we have a voicemail here. This one comes in from Nathan, and he's got a question concerning the usage of wide boards. Hey, Mark, Matt, and Shannon. This is Nathan from Saginaw, Michigan. I love the show, and I have a dilemma regarding edge gluing the top for a dresser that I'm building for our first child. I got this crazy deal on maple from a local Sawyer of 225 board feet of beautiful, clear, and wide maple. And that's the dilemma. My narrowest board is probably 10 inches, and most are 12 plus inches with one that is 18 inches wide. Um, I had planned on gluing up four to five boards for the top, but could easily get the job done with two of these really wide boards. Um, but I am worried about the stability of only edge gluing two boards versus four to five. Um, but I also want to showcase these lovely wide boards. Um, on another note, is it quote-unquote okay to cut these up into narrower lengths for other parts uh, for this project and others, or should I save them for projects that showcase their width? Um, again, thanks for your guru-like guidance in both my mechanical and my moral dilemmas. <laughs> thanks, guys. Bye. I think Nathan was about to call us guru goddesses for a second there. <laughs> oh, I hope so. Yeah, geez. I don't work on this body for nobody yeah. not to notice. With a butt like this, geez. Um, <laughs> <clears throat> so I think we could probably all agree. I know we've discussed this a little bit in the past, but I think we could all three of us agree that it is a damn shame to take a really wide board and cut it down to narrower boards in hopes of increased stability. Oh, it yes. is, it's, it's right? a crime. Because here's the thing. It's not a guarantee that that thing is just going to suddenly turn into a potato chip on you. If it's fairly... Uh, well seasoned and has the you know proper uh, moisture content and was kiln dried uh, in the way that it should be the way Shannon and, might describe and it was milled appropriately and milled appropriately 
Yeah, so basically if it's staying in a stable state as it is now and then gets milled evenly uh, on both faces, um, you should end up with something that's still pretty stable. Now, I I did this on the trestle table project we did years ago, Mm -hmm. and I did the whole thing as a 24-inch top, and I did it out of two slabs. I do not regret it for a second. That thing is still dead flat, and it looks awesome because the entire top is just two pieces. I do not regret it at all, but here's the deal. If something were to happen to it and, you know, God forbid, it just cups like crazy on me, I can actually, it's just a top. I can take it off if I need to. I could rip it down the middle, uh, rejoint it, and bring them back together to kind of compensate for whatever movement had occurred there. Um, But it hasn't, you know, it's been great. So I, I can't, I don't know. We don't get wide boards these days, right? So when you do get them, Leave them wide and then like give yourself uh, the, the possibility that you could fix it in the future if you need to. Well, and that's one thing I just did with uh, the dresser that I'm working on. I had two really, really wide boards so that for the 19-inch the, the depth on the sides, uh, I really only have two boards in place. As soon as I saw those ones, my first thought, of course, I kind of thought for a second like what Nathan was saying, but I'm like, you know what? I know I can mill this the right way, get this taken care of. I'm very happy with it because then I only had the one glue line that I had to deal with. Yeah. But you know what? I, I did have regret uh, ripping down a wide board. Now, I made a trestle table very early on, and every time I look at it in the morning, all I can th- I can see the beautiful grain because what I ended up doing was I ripped the boards, and then I just put them right back together again. And you see those, those rip lines right down there, and mm-hmm. it really, really messes with this beautiful grain pattern that I had right in the center that when I bought the board, that's what I wanted it for. But I had that moment of, well, this was very early on. This is like in the first – year or two that I started woodworking and I, I ripped it down because I thought that's what I had to do. Right. And and every time I look at it, I'm just like, oh, it, it devastates me that I feel like I took a little bit away from the beauty of that board. Yeah, it's a lost opportunity. Yeah, I think. And it, it makes such a huge difference. I think that's what makes a good project into a masterpiece is that attention to the grain and the continuity. And you can't beat the continuity of a single board or two boards, or more importantly, a single board cross cut to length and then turned back on itself and glued into a panel. Yes. You want to get you want to get the best color match possible. Make it out of one board. If you've got a twelve inch board and you're doing a twenty four inch wide top, cross cut it and glue them together, and now you've got this incredible match. Mm-hmm. That's the way to go. Now he he asked a question. And I'm not sure. He says, "Is it okay to rip them into smaller pieces?" and was he talking about in order to maintain stability or is he saying I need some narrow parts and is it going to, do I need to go buy more wood or should I keep these uh, wide? I think if he's think asking for stability, it would be redundant. So I think he's asking, okay. is it okay to rip these down to use yeah. in other parts of the project? And I would say absolutely. Why not? Yep. Yeah. yeah. I mean, here's the thing. Wide boards are not rare. Um, it's not, you hear the, you know, trees don't grow like they used to. And there may be some truth to that when you're talking about, 24 inches and wider, at least domestics. Um, The the fact of the matter is that the market demand for wide lumber, lumber wider than about eight to 10 inches is very small. So the mills are the ones sawing these into six inch wide pieces. Where do you think they're getting them from? They're getting them from wider boards. Well, it's rare in the sense that people like us who have access to whatever they give us, it's rare because we never see it. (laughs) And that's what I mean. (laughs) Um, It's a manufactured rarity. When you hear people getting these wide boards of, you know, 24 inches or whatever, they're generally buying directly from a sawmill and they've intercepted that 
Sawyer before he went and ripped the the live edges off and ripped it into smaller boards because yeah. that's what they're that's what they're selling to you know somebody like my company uh, the company I work for anyway not my company um, they they're selling us six inch wide eight inch wide stuff because that's what's required to meet the grade FAS right. grade so it's all coming out of wider boards the only thing I would say about possibly ripping a, a a wider board down is with wider boards. A lot of times you'll get the center cathedral pattern or the pith or close to the center of the tree in there. Um, great way to get quarter sawn stuff is rip out the center cathedral pattern. You usually have two quarter sawn boards on either side of it. Mm-hmm. So that's a, you know, if you have it in this great um, situation that Nathan has, he's got an abundance of wide boards. You know, there's no reason to go out and buy some quarter sawn lumber because you've already got it in your boards on either side of that central cathedral pattern. Yeah, when I did the rustic outdoor table, uh, I had really wide boards and I thought about, okay, see, there there was the exception. It's going to be an extreme environment. And I was thinking, well, I could use them as they are, but each one of them has a dead center pith. And we know that the pith generally is going to be the most unstable, like epicenter of problems for these boards. So I did basically that. I made the the conscious decision to cut out the pith and bring those pieces back, which then made me feel like this whole thing was definitely going to be more stable. But that's yeah. not a table that's living inside. You know, that was a table that's going to be outside with extreme conditions. So if, you know, it was basically a recipe for disaster if I didn't remove that center portion. Um, we, you know, one thing I'm thinking, actually two things, I feel like I need to make these two points. Uh, one, just a moment ago, Shannon admitted that McGillicuddy and Gildaham are apparently a problem with why we no longer have wide boards. <laughs> yes. Because they are feeding into the demand uh, of some sort of man issue. Anyways, though, yes. the other thing, though, I always wonder is uh, if you really, depending on, I, I can't remember, what did Nathan say he was going to use these for? Did he say what, uh, what he was going to be building it for? It's like a, I think he said like a dressing table or a bureau or something for his uh, his newborn, which, by the way, congratulations on uh, the, the little one to be. Absolutely. Congratulations. Uh, one thing I always think about when using wider boards is depending on where it's going to be used in the project. Of course, there are certain uh, things that you could do to potentially construct it so that there's a little bit more support, either maybe breadboard ends or maybe cleats underneath, depending on, again, what where it's going to be used. You know, uh, if, if, if you're really that concerned about it, sometimes you can kind of engineer in sure. some sort of structural support in there to help counteract it. Obviously, again, it's very project dependent, but you know, I really have not had a problem uh, previously, as as I mentioned. Right. So that that's one thing to think about. Oh, and by the way, Nathan, I don't think I mentioned this. My my beautiful wife is also from Samantha. One of the best things that came out of the uh, Saginaw area. Other than that, I really don't like going back. So, you just said that your wife, your beautiful wife, came from Samantha. Oh, she yeah. did. She came that's from convenient. Uh, she, it, yeah. Well, <laughs> that's confusing. You know, when you're, when you're that is. good, you don't want to uh, go far <laughs> from the source. She's from Saginaw. <laughs> oh, okay. There you go. Oh, and by the way, you did get one thing wrong. Um, Shannon's company is uh, Chapman, McNoodle, and Finkelstein. That's the one. I always get that one mixed up. Yeah. Sorry about that, Shannon. I'm having such a hard time. I've got to change the header of the website every single time. It's <laughs> no, ridiculous. It's, it's terrible. I'm going to start buying domains for all these <laughs> names. It's awful. All right. Let's move into our email. I'll take the first one here from Colin. He says, I'm making a number of vanities for a home remodel and have built frameless cabinets out of walnut veneered cabinet grade plywood. I'm making flat panel doors out of the same material and would like to pick a stain or a dye that'll make the walnut veneer warm and give the depth that I've seen in solid walnut. 
I've made a few stained samples and found that they look very flat and lifeless. No poly coat applied. My question is, can you get the same depth and color variation or warmth out of a veneer as you can from solid wood? Well, it kind of depends on the veneer. You know, sometimes they're very clean, very straight grained, and there isn't a whole lot of visual interest there. Uh, And that's just the nature of the way that the veneer was cut and applied. So it depends on the piece you get. You know, sometimes you may get a face that actually has a little bit more life to it. You might find a little trace of a knot here or there, something that gives it that solid wood look. Um, So it kind of depends. Maybe you want to look at the pile, and if you can, I know it's a pain in the butt with plywood, but maybe look under the top sheet and see what's... That was my dog. Jeez, did you hear that? What was that? I thought it was my stomach. Sorry about that. I've got a I've got a very old dog that's not getting any younger, and uh, he does that once in a while. It's terrible, and it's really distracting. Um, so yeah, it, check the other sheets. See if you can find one that has. You know, sometimes those little flaws are what makes something look like solid wood. Uh, but in general, when you're dealing with that thin veneer, there isn't much wood there before you get to a layer of glue. And I think that's what generally will lead to some differences between solid wood and plywood. So he mentioned that he did the stain samples. And I do think stain, even if you're using walnut, is probably not a bad idea because if, you're, if you've got solid wood in the project plus the plywood, a good stain or dye first can actually bring the two into a little bit closer of the same color family so that when you apply your clear coat, you're not as surprised. You don't have real light and dark differences between them. Um, I usually use a dye for something like that. And if I want to apply dye selectively heavier in one area, uh, I could certainly do that. Uh, the thing is, he, d- he said specifically that he didn't apply any finish to it. And that's really the missing ingredient here. It's hard to judge the iridescence and the the total look and warmth and depth that you would get from that veneer plywood until you put some sort of finish. And if it's an oil-based finish, just go ahead and wipe a couple of coats on there because that's going to tell you what you really need to know. And and I think that makes a huge difference, Uh, especially oil-based products. They really do seep down into the grain and they give you that sort of iridescence that that just adds to the visual appeal of it. So I think to add warmth too, whereas yeah, the the amber color stuff is is a little bit cooler looking. Yep. You get the amber color in there and that's really going to brighten it up for you. So, you know, it is what it is. You can only go so far with plywood to make it look like solid wood, but you're on the right track. I think by adding a little bit of color to it and then putting on that clear coat, you're going to, you know, as long as it's oil based, you're going to probably be pretty happy with where everything ends up, but just take those test boards, add some more finish and see where it goes from there. If you don't like it, there may not be a whole lot else you can do. It's kind of the nature of the materials. And as long as the colors are the same, it won't be an eyesore, but maybe to your eye, it won't look like solid wood guaranteed though. Most other people, if it's finely crafted, won't notice a thing (laughs) between the solid wood and the plywood. They'll think it looks just fine. That is the beauty of non woodworkers. Totally. Ignorance is bliss. They're stupid. What? What? Who, oh. Who said that? And that, that was, was that was my old by. dog. <laughs> <laughs> that was Jax. That was Jax. It's his fault. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, we have this next question, and this comes in from Russell, and he says, I'm designing a set of built-ins with drawers to go along one wall of the garage, and I really want to use full extension drawer slides. Is there a way to make them myself in the shop? What kind of wood would be best? Is there a specific design you could recommend. So I have never really made uh, drawer slides myself uh, in the shop. I think I actually let me take I, I take it back. I did do it once with it was one of those that went on the bottom of the drawer and they had a nice little dovetail way, hmm. but they were not full extension. They just went out far enough until the drawer fell out. I don't know if that is that full extension. Uh, 
sort of. <laughs> okay. Yeah, kind of. So anyways, though. With an ejection um, button. Yeah. There you go. Uh, anytime I, I, so when I made something like that, or I just made some simple ones that were maybe on the, on the sides, either be it a groove in the sides of the drawers with maybe some, uh, I guess you could call them battens on the inside of the drawer. Whatever it is that I made them from, I typically made those from a hardwood. So I know I made it from oak. Preferably I might make it make from some sort of like hard maple Anything that is definitely going to uh, withstand the wear and tear. Now, I did go online to look to see if I could find some actual plans for full extension wooden slides. I found a article over at Fine Woodworking. Unfortunately, it is in their members only section. But this is exactly what it sounds to me like what you're looking for. These are literally you pull these things out and they will extend as far as the drawer as you want them to go, you can. it looks like you can make them as deep as necessary. And it looks like it's only a matter of a couple of pieces that you actually have to do. It, they more or less kind of pull all the way out and it catches itself. If you do a neat little trick where you go to the website and then you, you enlarge the uh, picture, you can kind of get an idea what the diagram looks like. You won't get the details from the, the PDF, but uh, you can at least see if it's something what you're thinking. They don't look that difficult. I don't know, though, if myself if... I were to do a bunch of drawers. If it's something I would want to do, I, I tend to kind of want to go with something with some ball bearings and something I know that I can just put in relatively easy depending on uh, the, the setup of them. But, you know, if this is really a direction you want to head in, I think this might be one of the two articles. Again, the other article is actually one all about uh, all wood extension drawer slides. Again, at Fine Woodworking, once again, behind their membership site, uh, but both are actually really, really good articles. I do remember the first one, and I thought it was pretty neat. Again, not something I'm probably going to do. Cool, man. Cool. How about the uh, how about the fine woodworking website? Huh? Yeah, you get that it's... nice pop up that blocks you from seeing anything you want to see, and then you got a giant staples ad taking up the whole like fifty percent of the top of the website. <laughs> you know what? It, you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of when I would go to a less than uh, uh, proper movie for a child, and my mom thought that she could protect my innocence by covering my eyes, <laughs> Just putting things hand. in front of your eyes. It's like, <laughs> right. Here's the content. You don't really want to see this, do you? You don't really right. want to see it. Yes, I do. Stop. Yes, I do. You're kind of bobbing your head back and forth. But I just want to. I just. I want to. Oh, that's, they're gone. Please stop separating me from your content. Thank you. All right. Anyway, All right. Shannon. All right, this is a question that comes from Jim that, frankly, we could dedicate an entire show to, but I'm going to give it a shot. Okay. Jim says, I like to clean up and smooth boards with hand planes, and no matter what I try to do, I sometimes get areas of tear out. I find it hard to read the grain of walnut as it doesn't have a clear grain pattern and on the side to reference like other woods, and the grain sometimes appears to change direction in longer boards. I've even tried using Mark's pantyhose method. Hey, for easy. The watch grain. watch mm-hmm. how you phrase that. Yeah. Dude, you need to stop <laughs> sending your pantyhose out. Mark. Come on, man. Mark, are they control top or? <laughs> well, sometimes, you know, I'm getting older and I like a little help. So, uh, all right. Well, <laughs> anyway, he says, I'll have a nice shaving until I hit these hidden rough spots. I use a Veritas bevel up smoothing plane and a Lee Nielsen bevel up jack plane, both with sharp blades. And he wants to know, basically, do I need to change something with the plane? Should I pull out a cabinet scraper or should I just grab the belt sander? So um, 
there was some preamble to this where he says he's got a bunch of air dried walnut. So we are primarily talking about walnut here. And the reason I wanted to tackle this is I've, I've tackled this question four or five times in the last week. There seems to be this impression that when you use a hand plane, you have to make a full length pass. You got to start in one end of the board and make a pass all the way to the end of the board. What looks cool when you do it. Sure. And that's what we see online, right? That's what we (laughs) see the experts doing. When you're smooth planing a board, you're beyond the point. The board should already be flat. You're not using a smoother to flatten a board unless you want to do it really slowly, a thousandth of an inch at a time. When you're pulling out a smoothing plane, you're just cleaning up the surface. So if you are taking a pass and you run into a little section of reversing grain, I got to tell you, walnut, that's the rule. That's not the exception. Walnut is a very gnarly grain tree. It doesn't grow straight at all. So you're going to run into that reversing grain stuff. Um, You need to turn around and play the other way. And it sounds kind of stupid. Well, if you hit a, you go against the grain, plane the other way. You don't have to make a full length pass the other way. And it's what I call spot planing, where you're just going to tackle those areas of tear out, um, go the other direction. Sometimes going across the grain is the only way to, to, to tackle that. Sometimes I'm actually making, actually making like circular strokes, like right around a knot. Because the grain is swirling around that knot, and a lot of times you're dealing with ingrain around it. So I'll make this kind of circular motion around that, short little strokes just to kind of smooth it out and and clear it up. Now, you're inevitably going to end up with kind of differences in the appearance because um, you're you're kind of pushing back the fibers one direction in one way and pushing back the fibers in another direction the other way, and it's going to reflect light differently. So it's not going to look as unified. Well, that's where grabbing something like a card scraper, kind of blend those sections. Again, you're not taking full length passes with a card scraper. You're just blending those areas of color differences to get it to look uniform. Then the other thing is I always hear people saying, you know, the the plane is sharp. Well, was it just sharpened? You know, did you just take it off of the stone or the strop? Because maybe that's what you need to do. You know, maybe that that plane that you sharpened 10 strokes ago, you know, if you really if you're getting this really persistent tear out, get it straight from the sharpening stone and just spot plane that one section. You'll find that that can help a lot. The other thing you can do once you've used uh, that spot planing thing, um, set the plane, sharpen your blade, set the plane to the thinnest possible shaving you can take. Half a thousandth of an inch, whatever. Ridiculously thin, thin, thin shaving. Now make a full length pass. And a lot of times you'll find that where you got tear out before, you're not getting it anymore. Um, If you are tackling those areas of tear out and you're still kind of leveling the surface, you're going to have to focus more on that one little area. If you've already leveled it by going the, the with the grain direction and you just need to make that kind of unifying pass a really light shaving with a freshly sharpened blade will a lot of times unify those together and won't give you tear out now the other thing he mentions is a higher higher bevel angle um or he said would i go with a higher frog angle he's already using two bevel up planes so i wouldn't worry about getting a higher that doesn't apply in a bevel up plane changing the frog angle is not possible in a bevel up plane but since you've already got a bevel up plane, yeah, by all means, go put in a higher bevel angle. He's using the Veritas bevel up smoothing plane, which I have the same one. They even sell higher bevel blades that you can get. They are completely ambivalent to grain direction. If you put a 50 degree blade into a Veritas bevel up smoother, um, it doesn't matter what direction you plane. You get a tear out free surface. 
So that would be kind of a surefire way to do it. Um, 35 degrees works just fine too. But if you really want kind of the nuclear option, the 50 degree blade that Veritas sells or just go buy a blade and grind it yourself. When you add that to the 60 degree bed angle, you now have almost a card scraper in, in a hand plane that is, it just doesn't matter what direction you go. It will fix it. So, um, there's a whole host of other things you can do, like tightening the mouth and increasing the chip breaker distance and everything. I'm assuming that Jim kind of knows all these things already. Um, but they're, those higher bevel angles are a thing of beauty. So I've got some uh, figured maple, some curly maple with a really tight curl on it. And just for fun, I took the 50-degree blade in my low-angle jack and ran that over the edge and it was like yeah this thing, yeah <laughs> that's what this is here for <laughs> that's exactly like, and that's why that's the blade i have in my veritas smoother and that's why it always stays there yeah. um i have i have several other smoothing planes that i use for regular smoothing but when you get that nasty board mm-hmm. you know i just pull it out and it's it's amazing what that thing does it is yeah it makes a huge difference you know when you were talking about using your smoother for flattening a board and how long it's going to take that's that's actually do when part uh, I do when part of the uh, Saginaw contingency makes their way west to visit us. <laughs> like I got some boards I got to go flatten. They're really <laughs> wide. I'll be gone Take for a, a long time. I'll see you next week. <laughs> right. All right. Well, if you want to support the show and keep this uh, this little train a moving, you could set up a recurring or one time donation. You could do that at Wood Talk Show. There you go. Good sound effects at woodtalkshow.com. You can also buy a t-shirt at twwstore.com. And hey, go to the giveaway page, woodtalkshow.com slash giveaway and win something for free. And uh, a lot of cool things, cool ways that you could sign up for that giveaway. You can also leave us an iTunes review. Just head to the iTunes store, look us up, click on ratings and reviews and give us that five-star rating just like Rad, Rad Work, Rad Work Tin did. Red, Red Rom, Red Rom. There you go. Red exactly. Rom. Uh, he or she says contrast is beautiful the three of you have markedly different styles that like walnut and maple contrast nicely together i enjoy the podcast so keep it up well thank you rad Workton, for that we appreciate it well the key there is is high contrast and small dosage yeah yeah too much of it is a bad thing too much walnut and maple looks gaudy yeah, and like people who go to episode one and listen through over the course of a month or something. Woo, that's bad. Surest way to gain unsubscribes to the feed. <laughs> that it is. All right, Matt, how about you give them the contact? in the force when that happens. Oh, my God. <laughs> how about you give them the contact info, and we'll get out of here. All right, hey, folks, do you have a comment, question, a topic, suggestion, or is there a book that you would like to know Shannon is reading because he can't remember the title of it either? You know what? There's several <laughs> different ways to contact us. Leave us a voicemail on Skype. Our username is woodtalkonline. Call our voicemail line at 623-242-5180. Email us at kickback at woodtalkshow.com or leave us a comment on our Wood Talk Facebook page. And if you're looking for the show notes or downloads from today's show or previous episodes, or maybe that's where you want to leave us some kickback also, you're going to find those over at woodtalkshow.com. So good. And hey, Shannon, happy birthday, man. I'm going to take you out with a little bit of uh, sweet, sweet music here. Languages. Yeah, not only is it English, but also Spanish. So uh, let's let's uh, let's leave it on that, and we'll catch you next time. Get ready, Shannon. It's time for some spankers. I have to come back. Well, get a little Alex in there dude, too. I haven't even listened to this whole thing, so I don't know where this is going. Did she say my dog said "woof woof" to you? That yes, is what she, she said. Did.
Oh, wow. good stuff. Well, you know what? I'll put the link to the site that I got this from because this is hilarious and they deserve credit. Very good. All right. We'll catch you next time, people. <laughs> See ya. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.